Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Velocity Church podcast. We love to hear about life change in our church. So if you have a story about how Velocity has made a difference in your life, send us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. Uh, What we're going to look at today is going to be helpful. We've been learning some things that are both challenging and encouraging. Challenging because maybe as we've looked at God's word, you've seen some places in your life that you need to change. Man, I didn't start this right. I need to make some changes. But encouraging because any place that God shows us we need to change, he doesn't just leave us there. He gives us the power and the grace and the help to change. And that's the great thing about the word of God is we don't have to do this on our own. And throughout this whole series, we've been speaking to your future, not your past. The, the way you live today is soon going to be your past, but it's going to show up in your future. And if you put these things into practice, future you is going to give you a Top Gun high five. Do you know what a Top Gun high five? That's over and down. You Google it. It'll bless you. All right. But the good news is all of our relationships can get better because all of us have the capacity to grow. Now, last week, I talked to you about a strategy for success, having a game plan to go the distance in your relationships and in your marriage. And today, I want to take that one step further, but I don't just want to talk about how you can have a love that lasts, but really how you can reach the full potential that God has for your relationships. I want to deal with the issues that prevent us from reaching our potential. Truth is, your relationships and marriage is not just meant to be endured. It's meant to be enjoyed. God has a good plan for you with that. He has things he wants to bring into your life through that. And what we're going to look at today is going to help with that. We are going to close out our series by looking at a wedding in Scripture. And if you want to find your way there, we're going to start in John chapter 2. And what we're going to look at, really, it gets to the heart of this series. And uh, we're going to see Jesus work a miracle at this wedding. It's the first miracle that he ever worked, by the way. It's really fascinating. I mean, to think of all the places that he could have chosen to perform his first miracle, he chooses to do it at a wedding. Why is that? Well, I mean, if anybody needs a miracle, it's married people, obviously. (laughs) But um, there's going to be more to it than that, and I think you're going to get a lot from this. So John chapter 2, we're going to read all the way through verse 11 in this sermon. But for the start, I just want to start with the first four verses. In John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, On the day, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Well, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. So to set this up, there's this wedding. We don't know all the details. Maybe Jesus' mother is helping out with the catering, the party planning. She's the wedding planner. We're not really sure, but Jesus happens to be there. Jesus hasn't worked any miracles yet, but You know, Mary, she's had some angelic encounters in this whole process, so she knows that he's capable. And so she says, hey, I need you to do something about this problem. I got this problem. I want you to solve it. And Jesus responds in a way I would encourage you never to respond to your mom or to your wife. He he says in verse 4, woman, 
why do you involve me? This is not going to be our teaching point today. Just pass over that. And he says, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. So there's a, there's a wedding. They're having a party. They have some wine. They've run out of wine. And now they've got some issues. I mean, they're not even 30 minutes into this commitment that they've made. And they've already got some problems. And that's often the way it is. Anytime we make a commitment, anytime we enter into a relationship, can start out great, but it doesn't take very long for the issues to surface. And I want to use this text today to get into those issues that keep us from reaching our potential in our relationships. And I'm calling this message, if you're taking notes, commitment issues. Commitment issues. Now, it's always my custom to pray. I know that I need God's help whenever I stand up here before you. I don't want to do it in my own strength. So I just ask that if you know you need some help in your relationships as well, that you'd bow your head with me. Let's invite God into this moment and ask for God's help. God, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that every time we open up your word, you speak. And I'm asking God that you would do it again. Lord, let your word go forward today. Let it be like a seed sown on good ground. Let it take root and produce fruit in people's lives. God, let them have ears to hear, eyes to see a mind to know, and a heart to receive all you have for us today, God. We believe it, and everybody who agrees with that can say in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, how many of you have ever been caught off guard? Anybody, like, been a little bit surprised? Uh, some of you, I'm a little surprised to see you raise your hand so boldly, but in, in my house, like, this happens almost. I shouldn't be caught off guard anymore, but I am, because every single night, my I have four children. I have a 13-year-old, 8-year-old, 7-year-old, and a 3-year-old. Every single night, my 7-year-old, Grant, he will come into my room in the middle of the night and just put his face this far from my face while I'm sleeping. Doesn't make a sound, just stares at me to when I wake up. I'm like, ah, what? what? What is going on here? What? This, what are, this is not The Shining. Who are you? Just... <laughs> crazy kid. I'm like, what are you doing? It's like, I didn't want to disturb you. Well, that was kind of missing the point there. Uh, there is nothing more freaky than having a seven-year-old stare into your soul while you're sleeping. <laughs> Any parents know what I'm talking about? Catches me off guard, but I'm kind of caught off guard in this passage of scripture. It, it's surprising to me. It's surprising to me to see Jesus at a wedding, to see Jesus at a wedding that, I mean, he's not even officiating this thing. Like, he, he's not even the best man. He is just like, he's there. And um, I mean, most of us, we, we don't think of the Son of God being one to party. Because it's not just the wedding, like, it's the party that's happening. And I mean, things are getting kind of loose. There's wine flowing. And I mean, I guess I'm just surprised to see Jesus, can I say this, turn up at the wedding. To, to show to turn up at the wedding, and uh, it just, it doesn't make sense, because, well, I guess you got to know a little bit about the Gospels. Now, if, if you're kind of new to the Bible, just explain this to you. Uh, this is the Gospel of John. There's four Gospels. The Gospels are part of the New Testament, and the, the Gospels, they're eyewitness accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus. There's four of them. So John, he's, he was one of the disciples of Jesus. He saw Jesus work these miracles. He wrote them down. But uh, of the four, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John's is a lot different. 
John, John doesn't really fit like with the other ones. And part of that, you got to know a little bit about John. John was the disciple that Jesus loved. His words, not mine. All right? You got to be a little bit cocky to refer to yourself as the disciple that Jesus loved. But maybe it's appropriate that we're looking at his gospel for love handles because, see, John, he wrote his gospel differently. He wrote his gospel with a lot of emotion. He, he wrote his gospel with a lot of feeling. He wrote his gospel with a lot of passion. And some of the events that he included in his gospel, well, they're different than some of the events that the other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, included in their gospels. And, well, this wedding, this is, this is one of those stories. It's only found in John chapter 2. And it just kind of catches me by surprise. I mean, the, the whole scenario is hilarious to me because you have Jesus, the Son of God, solving a catering catastrophe. He's at a wedding, just happens to be there. And they're like, uh, Jesus, we're out of wine. Can you do something about this? He's like, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, created the world, you know, spoken into existence, no big deal. You need wine, what else? Like, I can handle this. But it just seems so funny. And it's not just the fact that he's at a wedding, not just the party, it's not just what he's doing. Like, the, the, the thing about this is, like, the timing of it doesn't make sense. Like, if you know where this is at in the story, it's the first miracle, I said that. But at this point, like Jesus, he has already chosen his team. He's already gathered his disciples. He's already called them. And you gotta imagine yourself in the Bible. You gotta envision this. You gotta see the movie in your mind sometimes because like you can read it in John chapter one. Jesus, he, he's already called Peter. He's already called Andrew. He's already called Philip, Nathaniel, the other disciples. He, he said, hey, Come, follow me. Follow me, you know, leave your nets. I'll make you fishers of men. Come, follow me. We've got some work to do. Come, follow me. You'll see the heavens open. You'll see God at work. We're, we're gonna heal blind eyes. We're, we're gonna open prison doors. We're gonna set captives free. We're, we're gonna heal people. We're gonna help hurting people. We're gonna release people from bondage. Come, follow me. See God at work. And at this point, like the disciples have been like, yes. Sign me up for that. I, I want to see this. Uh, like, uh, count me in. Let, let, let's make it happen. Show me where we need to go. Where, where are the hurting people? Where, where are the people that we need to help? Where, where are the ones that need to be set free? Help us, Jesus. Like, just point us in the right direction. Tell us where we need to go. And it's like, okay, well, um, uh, first we've got to go to a wedding. Like, say what? Uh, yeah, like, we, we got to go to, I thought you said that we were going to see the heavens opened and angels descending and ascending and we're going to see God at work. Well, yeah, but it's like I already got invited, you know, before I had called you to follow me first. And I've already RSVP'd. My mom expects me to be there. So, um, you know, uh, let's, let's just go to a wedding. So we go to the wedding, and, I mean, things, that, like, it, it's going well. I mean, like, like the party's happening. Th things, you know, you got, like, Peter dabbing on the dance floor, and, you know, you've got the music popping, and, and you, you see, like, you know, people are having a good time. The wine is flowing, and then the wine runs out. The, the, the wine runs out, and now they've got this issue and it just seems strange. Like, it doesn't make any sense that this is the place. We got things to do, but you're here. 
And it's not just like the setting, a wedding, it seems kind of strange. Like even the location seems strange. You might not realize this, but Cana of Galilee, other than the fact that it's mentioned in this story, I mean, there's really nothing significant about Cana of Galilee. It's so insignificant that if you go to Israel and you want to walk where Jesus walked and you want to see the places where he worked his miracles, they can't even tell you where Cana of Galilee is. So irrelevant in terms of history. I mean, it's historical because of this, but other than that, it's not, they can't even tell you. So the setting's strange, location's insignificant. Even the couple, like, the couple is not named. We, we don't know who this couple is. So forgettable that what, it doesn't even think to mention their name. And yet, this is the place where Jesus shows up to work his first miracle. Why would Jesus go to a wedding in Cana of Galilee for a couple that we don't even know for what and he's not even officiating, why would he go there to work his first miracle? Well, I'll tell you. And I can tell you with one verse because it's right in Scripture. In verse 2, it says, Jesus and his disciples had been invited to the wedding. And here's what you got to know. Is that Jesus will show up any place that he's invited Jesus will come into any place where he's invited. You'd be surprised where God will show up when he's invited. And a lot of us are looking for God to work a miracle in our relationship or a miracle in our marriage. And I would just ask you the question, have you invited him? Have you invited him into that place? Because God is not just God of the mountaintop experience. He's God of the valley too. And you might be walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But if you will invite him in, he will walk with you right through the valley. God shows up any place he's invited. You'd be surprised where God will show up. So Jesus says, hey, we got to go to this wedding. Wedding, really? Yeah, we got to go to Cana. Cana, really? Yeah, we got to go. Who's the couple? Doesn't matter. Why do we got to go there? Because Jesus needed to show you that he can work a miracle any place that you will invite him into. Even the places that seem insignificant, even the places that seem out of control, even the places that you're embarrassed about, even the places that you think no one cares about, He'll work a miracle even in the mundane, even in the monotonous. I don't know if there is a better message for marriage. A miracle in the mundane. A miracle in the monotony. Because sometimes we get into this and it's like, this isn't the miracle I envisioned. Seems like a lot of day in, day out. But if you will invite God into it, he'll work a miracle. He shows up where he's invited, and he doesn't show up like Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn. Now, he's not going to crash the party. He's not going to show up unannounced. But he will walk into wherever he's invited. And God will show up in your car if you invite him. 
Like, I realize you probably wouldn't expect the pastor to say this. Maybe it's like bad, you know, for business when we're talking about getting a permanent home and getting a building. But you don't even need to come to church to meet with God. Now, I want you to come. I like it when you come. I think there's something powerful about coming here. And there's something that you can only get here. And it'd be awkward without you. I'm really, I want you to be here. But you don't need to come here to meet with God. God will show up in your car if you invite him. If you just decide, I'm going to worship on my way to work, he will turn your Prius into a prayer service. Yeah. He'll turn your Toyota into a tabernacle. He, he will. I can, I can keep going. But he'll show up wherever you invite him into. He'll show up in your kitchen. While you're doing the dishes, I'm not saying you need to start quoting scripture. Sometimes it's just in your attitude. And what's crazy is a lot of us, we've never even invited Jesus into our relationships. We try and do it in our own strength, our own ability. I'm smart. I'll figure it out. Yeah. We, we, we never even invite him. And what's ironic is we invite so much other stuff in. We'll invite in stress. We'll invite in drama, we'll invite in discouragement, we'll invite in depression. And I'm not saying that you're the cause of all your depression. What I'm saying, though, is that lots of times the reason you feel the way you feel is because you've invited those feelings in. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself because I'm going to talk about this in our next series. But the truth is, in order to invite Jesus in, there is some stuff you have to say you're not welcome here anymore. These thoughts of fear, pain, depression, you're not welcome here. So you invite Jesus in. I gotta get back to the scripture though because there's something about Mary. Uh, Mary says something that only a mom can say. She, she asks Jesus a question by making a statement. Only a mom can do that. There's no question mark here. She just says to him, uh, Jesus, there's no more wine. And it's kind of funny, but the good part about that is even if you don't know what to ask God, you can tell him what's going on. Jesus, here's the situation. My heart's broken. Jesus, here's the situation. They left me. Jesus, here's the situation. I, I don't know what to do. Jesus, here's the situation. I'm hurting right now. Jesus, here's the situation. And on the surface, she says this to him, and it seems like he's resistant because he's like, why are you telling this to me? But I want you to notice the abrupt change that she made. It's in the next verse because it says, after she told him this, she said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. She doesn't just turn to him. She turns to them. Because she knows that he's not going to get involved unless they do. And she can beg. She can cry. She can try and put one of those maternal guilt trips on him. It's not going to work. There's only one thing that has to happen. So she says, do whatever he tells you. And this is what I would ask you. Are you willing to do whatever? Are you willing to do whatever. 
whatever has a way of getting God's attention. And more of our relationships would work if people were really willing to do whatever. Can I tell you, churches flourish and grow when they're full of people who are willing to do whatever. And if you want the best God has for you, you want the best God has for your relationships, you want his miracle working power to start off in your life, man, you have to have a spirit that is willing to do whatever. Unfortunately, most of us, we're not willing to do whatever. What, what we do is we say whatever. Hey, we've designed this growth track to move you from where you are to where God wants you to be. We've designed it for you. God has a place he wants you to be. And where you're at right now may not be there. So we've designed this to help you move there. Ah, whatever. You know, God wants to grow you. He's got things he wants to do in your life. And it's gonna take having the right people around to make that happen. And this church is full of great people. That's why we offer groups so that you can have an avenue to get some right voices in your life because right voices will help you make right choices. Eh, whatever. You know, God has placed gifts inside of you and he does not want you to hoard those gifts for yourself. He wants you to use those gifts to make a difference in the life of someone else. And you'll never realize the difference that you can make until you be part of what God has always been about, which is building his church and building people's lives. And that's why we have teams. It's not to get things done. It's so you can make a difference. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. Most of us aren't willing to do whatever. We say whatever not willing to do whatever it takes for our marriage. I wanna have a better marriage, but I'm not willing to do whatever. I'm not gonna to go to counseling. That's, that's weird. I'm not gonna pay for that. I really want my finances to be better, but I'm not gonna do whatever. I mean, like I'm not gonna honor God and trust God with the first and the best. Well, like I... I I really want my kids to grow up to love God and learn to love God's house, but I mean, I'm not gonna prioritize church over, you know, I've touchdowns, man. Like, you know, we just got that stuff and I'm willing to do whatever. I'm willing to do whatever. Can I tell you, your whatever matters. Whatever matters. And the good news about whatever that I want you to see in this text is that whatever that God is gonna ask you to do, it's always something within your reach. Because it says, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And in the very next verse, nearby, nearby stood six stone water jars. Six stone water jars. The kind used by the Jews for ceremony washing, each holding from 20, 30 ounces. Now that's a significant detail because Jesus is about to ask them to do something with it. And it says nearby. The, the same things that people had been walking by, the same things that had been there all along, the same things that people thought, ah, it's not important. That's what Jesus 
wanted them to use. And here's what you got to know is that the ingredients for a miracle are always within our reach. These common jars for everyday use that, that people had disregarded because they were so common. That's the thing that God wanted to use in this insignificant place for this couple that we don't know about in this very strange setting. He says, I want to use that common thing to do an uncommon miracle. I want to use something that's ordinary to do something extraordinary. And you got to understand these jars, like these are the things that they would wash their hands on. They were full of their dirt. And maybe, maybe, maybe that's why I think God can't use it because it's like, well, it's, it's got my junk in it. God can't use that. It's, it's messed up. It's got, it's got the debris and the garbage and the dirt from my past. God says, that's what I want to use. Now, just because it's within reach, though, doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. Because I want you to notice, it says each of these held from 20 to 30 gallons. Actually, like the King James, it says two to three firkins. Just try using that in a sentence sometimes. Uh, you know, how much do you weigh? Well, in firkins or pounds. Um, 20 to 30 gallons. So these are like big trash cans, okay? And they're made of clay. So these things are heavy before they're filled with water. And Jesus says, hey, I want you to grab those, and I want you to take those, and I want you to fill those, not with wine, but with water. What is water going to do? It doesn't make any sense. What we need is wine. Why are you asking me to fill this with water? And I think sometimes we miss the miracle because it doesn't make sense. But here's what I want to tell you is that you don't have to understand to operate. You don't have to know to act. And miracles don't make sense. By definition, miracles do not make sense. It doesn't make sense. Stretch out your staff over the waters and part the Red Sea. That doesn't make sense. What's that going to do? Hey, Jesus, we don't have any food. Uh, well, hey, there's a little boy with some lunch. Hey, that'll, that'll work. But we've got 5,000 people. Yeah, it's fine. It doesn't make sense. Okay, we're all ready for battle. Let's go in to Jericho. Um, no, I know you're all ready for battle, but instead I want you to march around for seven days, and on the seventh day, I want you to march around seven times. That doesn't make sense. Miracles don't make sense. It doesn't make sense that Jesus is here, and it doesn't make sense that he'd ask them to fill it with water when what they need is wine, but they didn't have to understand all they had to do was obey. They didn't ask why, didn't need an explanation, Really, there's nothing in the text that even implies they thought this was going to be the thing that would solve the problem, but they did it anyway. And I wonder if maybe we're missing our manifestation because we're too busy waiting for an explanation. God, give me, give me the manual. Script this out for me step by step. I want to see. How, I got to know. I got to understand before I can do this. No, you don't. You don't have to understand to operate, but... You do have to obey to see the blessing. And I want you to notice how they obeyed, because there's something about the way they obeyed that stands out to me. It says they filled it to the brim. I mean, they could have filled it like three-fourths full. They could have filled it mostly full. I mean, they could have just put in what they wanted to put in, but it says they filled them to the brim. I like that attitude. 
I, I like that heart. I mean, they could have just completely disregarded Jesus' instructions, but they put it to the ground. This is like about 150 gallons of water. And please don't imagine doing, them, doing this with a hose, right? Like, I don't know how they did this, but this must have taken some time. 10,000 hours, Bieber, something like that for this wedding. Um, but they must have known this truth. Now, what you put into it, you'll get out of it. Man, is this not just a principle for relationships, but for life? They got 150 gallons of wine because they put in that much water. You want to get more out of it, put more into it. You want to get more out of your marriage, put more into your marriage. You want to get more out of your relationship, put more into your relationship. You want to get more out of church, put more into it. What you put into it, you'll get out of it. But, I mean, the way most of us live our lives, we, we live our lives like we're operating on low battery. Am I the only one? Like, how many of you, you run around with your phone on low battery all the time? Like, it is always on low battery. Why? Because I live on the edge. That's why. I just like the thrill. But we, you can't do that in your relationships. We approach our relationships. We live paycheck to paycheck relationally. Make just enough deposit till we run out. Oh, then I'll make another deposit. And we've got no margin. Hey, do we need a date night? Nah, we're good. Hey, do, do we need, should we do this marriage group? Nah, we're good. Hey, hey, should we make it a point to serve together? Nah, we're good. We're not creating any margin in our relationships and you will experience in your relationship the level of your effort. You'll enjoy it to the level of your effort. And you can have as much as you want, but God can only pour out as much as you put in. So don't approach his instruction halfway. Don't half-heartedly step into his directives. So they did it, and then it says, draw, it says they told them, then he told them, draw some out, take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And I like this because it doesn't say that it was wine yet. Really, it's implied that this is water still. Isn't that the way miracles work? Like, you don't recognize a miracle when you're in the middle of it. You can't see a miracle while it's in motion. It, they, they drew out this water, and Jesus says, take it to the master of the banquet. So they're like, oh, God, this is so stupid. I am, <laughs> what is he going to do? I'm just taking a step. I'm, gonna be, I'm doing whatever, but I have no idea how this is going to make any difference. It's a miracle in motion. And it says, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. And he didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who'd drawn it out knew. They called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you've saved the best till now. And this is one of my favorite parts of the story. Because... It's a picture of how miracles really work in our lives. The master of the ceremony, he 
tasted it and was like, this is amazing. This is phenomenal. Where would you get this? He didn't know. He was tasting the product, but the servants knew the process. And if you've ever had God work in your life, you know that this is often the way it works, is that he turns your struggle into a strength. He turns your sorrow into a joy. And see, sometimes people will look at your life and be like, oh, well, it's just always worked out for you that way. No. What they don't realize is that what used to be sorrow is now joy. What used to be pain is now peace. What used to be a chaos is now a comfort because faith knows how to draw it out. So, so don't get discouraged if it's just water right now because it's a miracle in the making. That's why I'm gonna tell you this last part, which is don't leave the party early. There's hope and there is promise in this season. Jesus said, draw it out. Right now, in this season where you're at, where it looks like things have run dry, there's hope, there's promise, there's joy, there is peace, there is blessing, but you gotta draw it out. Now, you gotta imagine yourself in the story because imagine you're at this wedding. You're there, music's bumping, you're having a good time, and you notice that the wine is starting to run out. Things are starting to shut down. Like, ah, you know, got to get to work tomorrow. You know, I got other things I could do. I'm kind of tired. I don't, like, the, it's not as fun as it used to be. And so you're like, ah, I'm out. I'll leave. And then the next day, you're talking to one of your friends. They're there, but they, they decided to stick it out. They stayed. Like, oh, man, you are not going to believe what happened. You, you know how, like, everything was starting to, like, dry up? Everything's kind of winding down. And then there was 150 more gallons of wine. Like, it went to a whole nother level. And you would have missed the greatest miracle of the whole event because you left early. What happens is I see a lot of people step out when things dry up. I see people cut out when things run out, when joy runs out, when the fun runs out, when, when the comforts run out, when the blessings run out, when the blessings feel more like burdens, People cut out when things run out. When a relationship dries up, when a marriage dries up, when the work isn't as fun as it used to be, when all of a sudden what was easy now is a lot more difficult. But you'll miss the miracle if you leave just because things got dry. And God is the type of God that shows up when you've run out, when things dry up, when you feel like your life is falling apart. Let's look at this last verse again. It says, people use the expensive stuff first, is what the MC is saying. They save the cheap stuff till everybody doesn't know the difference. And after they've had a little too much, everybody's in the club getting tipsy. 
but you have saved the best for now. I want to ask you, could God still do this? Could God do this for your life? Could the rest of your year be the best of your year? Could you see God turn every defeat into a victory? Could, could you see before this year is over that God would show forth his glory in your life? What seems like the end, what if God is really saving his best till now? Not the best for last, but right now. What you're experiencing right now. I want to read this last verse to you. Verse 11 says, What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. In this strange setting, insignificant place, no-name couple, Jesus decided to work his first miracle. There's something about the first. It sets the precedent, sets everything else in motion. Why would he do it in something so strange, so insignificant? It doesn't make sense. But maybe there is something that's significant. I mean, I gave you six points today. I gave you six points because there were six pots, and I figured I'd give you a point for every pot. But, you know, like even if you're familiar with the Bible, like six isn't the significant number. Like seven, seven is significant. And that would make sense because seven is perfection. Seven's the divine number. Seven's the number of God. And that would make sense for God to work a miracle if there were seven pots, but there were only six pots. And six, you might not know this because it's such an insignificant number, but six is the number of man. Man was made on the sixth day. It always represents how we fall short in our own efforts. Always represents how we're incomplete. It's not perfect, it's incomplete. And I was asking God, I was like, God, why were there six jars? Because there's a lot of details you left out in this story. We don't know the couple, don't know the place, don't know why, really. I mean, it doesn't make sense. Seven would have made sense, but yet you specifically say there were six. And I felt like God told me in my heart, it's because I don't need it to be perfect to perform. And here's what I want to tell you. The reason there's six jars is because it represents what God wants to work in your life. I know your relationship's not perfect. I know your marriage is not perfect. I know you've made some mistakes. I know you've fallen short. I know there's some places where you're incomplete. But it doesn't have to be perfect for God to perform. God can still move in your life. And he came to this insignificant place in this strange setting for this couple nobody knows in this imperfect situation to show you that it doesn't have to be perfect for him to perform a miracle.